The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. So hi, my name is Ashley, a Feminist Book Club content contributor, and I am joined today with Andrea Dunlop. She is the author of We Came Here to Forget, She Regrets Nothing, and Losing the Light. She is the host and creator of the true crime podcast, Nobody Should Believe Me. She joins us to talk about her latest novel, Women Are the Fiercest Creatures. Andrea, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So my first question to you is, what is your definition of feminism? That is such a good question because, boy, people really can, uh, it can be more contentious than it needs to be. Yeah, I think my definition of feminism, women and gender marginalized folks having the same rights and opportunities as cis men. And I think that that looks different, right, for women. One of the things, obviously, that we're really dealing with now is the idea of bodily autonomy. And (laughs) I think dignity and bodily autonomy are really important for, again, women and marginalized genders. And so it's about having rights and opportunities and also about having dignity and autonomy. Thank you. And what is Women Are the Fiercest Creatures about? So Women Are the Fiercest Creatures is the story of two women in the Pacific Northwest who have an ex in common who is a manipulative, very wealthy tech CEO who is about to take his company public. And just as that's about to happen, um, his past comes back to haunt him in a big way in the form of one of his exes. And so it really is the story, story of these these two women who are very powerful in their own rights and have been sort of cast aside by this by this very powerful man. One thing that I really gravitated towards when reading the book, first of all, was that very first page. I remember I was in bed, just cozy, comfy. It's the end of the year. And I read, I'm reading and I get to that last sentence and I'm like, oh, what is she about to do with this book? Because it truly, it's not quite a, prologue, but it's definitely an introduction to what the story becomes. How did you decide that very first page? Oh my goodness. I mean, this is very typical for me when I'm writing. I wrote many, many drafts of this book. The way I figure out what a book is, especially when I'm working on fiction, is writing. So I'm trying to think of when that sort of first page came in. I mean, I really... I, as a reader, really like the device of having that flash forward to really just drop you in and have that sense of foreboding or we're heading towards something. That's a device I've used in a couple of my books, and that's just something that I gravitate towards. And and really, I always knew that there was going to be 
you know, this thing of of the missing baby. I started this book when I was pregnant with my daughter, who's Mm -hmm. four. I also have a seven-month-old. So Mm, congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, motherhood is a huge influence, obviously, in this book. And just that experience, I think, is you just realize that, you know, when you become a mother, which all of the main characters in this book are, you suddenly, the stakes have been raised in your life in a major way. You have something to lose that you did not previously have to lose that is going to affect you more than the possible loss of any other person and any other thing in your life. And so I think that to me is intrinsically, you know, intrinsically a high, it's sort of an intrinsically high stakes job to be a mother. Yes. Another part of the book that is, I really gravitated towards is the social commentary. You have a way of pairing so many conversations about society, whether it's social media or motherhood or wanting to have your voice that doesn't take away from the story or make it feel heavy. How did you just, how did you decide the story's social commentary and what you wanted to say? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, first of all, for the kind words. Really glad that that land. When you're writing, especially a contemporary book, right? There is so much going on and there is so much that we're all absorbing on a given day. And of course, that's going to make make its way into your work, but you never want it to, yeah, you never want to take away from, you want to give people a good plot. You want to give them characters that they care about. Those are sort of what I see as my primary job as a as a as an author, but of course I have strong opinions on on these things. You know, I definitely don't start off with trying to sort of get a point across. This is definitely the in terms of the social commentary about you know motherhood, for example. I mean, I became a mother at just a particularly fraught time for the women in their bodies in this country. I mean, I remember when I was very pregnant with my daughter. I live in a town called Edmonds. It's just north of Seattle. Drove to our little waterfront to have a walk. I was listening to NPR on, not to be a cliche, I was listening to NPR on the way there. And they were covering the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, and then I get out of the car and I'm walking my dog and I'm just trying to like, I'm super pregnant and I'm just trying to like, bring my blood pressure down and chill and Walking along, and this older man says something to me, and I kind of do that, well, you know, take my headphones yeah, off. Yeah, right. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, and Ashley, this man reaches out, touches mm. my stomach, mm-hmm. and says, you must just feel as big as a house. And I was mm. like, I mean, I just went, whoop, and I like whacked his hand away. Yes. I'm like, I would say this poor old guy, but like, I know you shouldn't touch women. Like, not this poor old guy. He needed to tell him this. Obviously, I don't know how you could make it through that many years of life and not know that that's not an okay thing to do. But, you know, we've shocked anyone who's been through a pregnancy. They've had at least one person do this to them. And so I whacked his hand away and I said, please don't touch women you don't know, sir. And just stormed off. And I was so mad. It really just drove this home and there's something specifically about pregnancy when people feel really especially entitled even more so than they do with women in a general context which is you know bad enough on its own but they feel really entitled to comment on your body touch your body ask you questions about your body that just are so intimate and you're like i don't want a lot of it's benign enough like people are like oh my gosh why don't you know but we just don't really want to discuss my uterus with a stranger it's just that I just don't. When you never know where someone's at with their pregnancy, 
you don't know if that person's keeping that pregnant. I mean, it's like just not a good idea. <laughs> like if a pregnant woman wants to talk to you about her pregnancy, she'll bring it up. Trust me. So I think like that. And then when my son Colin was nine days old, that was the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Mm. So, I mean, it really could not have been this before fraught time. And just to have those things be going on in the culture and in the offices of lawmakers when I was going through these pregnancies, like pregnancy and childbirth, fortunately, I've had very healthy pregnancies, but it's a very difficult time. Being postpartum is a very difficult time. And you just think this is the most intense, intimate, personal thing a woman could ever do. And the idea that someone wouldn't have a say in it is just so horrifying. And so I think that permeates the book for sure. All of those thoughts of the way that women are undermined and the way that mothers in particular are infantilized and all those things were just very present in my mind. It's obviously, it's not like a book about abortion rights, but I think just that general mood really permeated it. With Sam, because obviously she's a Latinx character and, and her race comes into play in a couple of, you know, in a couple of notable scenes. And that just felt realistic for me. Sometimes this feels like a cop-out when fiction writers say this where they're like, oh, well, I just, my characters came to me the way they are. And, I mean, some of that is true, right? But there are also intentional decisions. And I think you have to be, if you ever you're writing a character that is not the race that you are or not the identity that you are, then that takes some extra work. And so I hope I rose to the challenge that that will be, ultimately, that will be up to readers to decide. And that is always the contract that we authors are in. But with her and her mother and that background, I had a friend who was in my new mom's group and she had done a lot of work in that sort of with the the Yucatan region and with Mayan cultures. And so that was her, Sam's mom, having sort of that same job. And I loved the Mexican culture that has a different relationship with motherhood and death. And that sort of coming together. So obviously this is a small part of the book, but it to me was very potent. And give Sam sort of a different context for the power of motherhood. That was something that really I loved sort of studying up on and, and sinking my teeth into a little bit and just having this idea of very, very, very strong maternal figure. I don't even know if I would call it commentary, but I hope those characters feel real. That's the most important thing to me always is that they feel real and that their experiences feel real. Yeah, when I, I mean, when I say commentary, I think it's more so how society views certain things, particularly as you were saying, motherhood. I mean, Anna is pretty far removed from early motherhood. Her children are teenagers or growing into being teenagers. But that instinct of protecting your child does not leave you just because they're no longer in your womb. It becomes even more Fierce, yeah. if, if pun intended. But then there's also Jessica, who is Jake's wife, who a new a newly mother, and Sam, who also has a young child. So those instincts don't leave you of motherhood. But what unravels is just how society views women, views women who have a certain amount of power, who want to own their power. And I guess the commentary is just how society wants to perceive certain things when people want to take do something that's against the grain. Yeah. And I think that's what attracted me to this story was especially with the social media concept because it's dominated our lives whether you have an account or not. It is it is so profoundly and intrinsically a part of our lives. So 
when I say commentary, it's just how society views certain things and acts in a certain way, especially when people, particularly women, want their voice. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And with social media, for most of us, we have, and, and as you said, it's it's everywhere. Even if you are abstaining personally from social media, yes. it's still going to affect you. It's a huge part of our life. And I think the thing that we've come around to in the last few years as a culture is that there isn't this bifurcation between your online life and your real life. Mm-hmm. Like it's all the mesh, right? Your online life is not real and your real life is your real life. It's certainly not the case. And that was something I thought about a lot while I was writing the book. And I think um, for people who are parents in the modern era, certainly social media is very terrifying for how it interacts with children. And I'm 40, so I I am at that age where I could have a new baby, which I do, Mm -hmm. or or teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. And it would be weird if I had teenagers. I have friends who are my age who have have teenagers. And, you know, watching them sort of try and deal with everything over the last few years, right? Between having their kids out of school with COVID and, 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 you know, social media and school shootings. And I don't know if it has always felt like it is a horrible time or a very scary time to be a parent. Probably to some degree it has. I think parents are always fearful for the world and how it might affect their children. But Certainly the last few years have been really, really tough, really tough on moms, you know, trying to take on these burdens of childcare. And, and that's certainly something I thought about a lot while I was while I was writing the book. And again, that's the period I was writing the book in, right, was during the lockdowns and, and seeing how, you know, myself and my family and how everyone else was sort of dealing with this, like, okay, you have no childcare, but everyone's still expecting you to work and take care of your kids. <laughs> it was so, so hard. And I think there is so much invisible labor that happens. And I think in particular with women who are married to very high achieving men. I mean, there's a reason I chose sort of Jake is that I'm very interested in how we deal with and think about entrepreneurship in this country and especially those big, flashy entrepreneurs that everyone sort of, you know, lionizes in that way. And my dad is an entrepreneur. He's been very successful and he's a he's a really good man. He's a good dad. He treats people in his life well. He treats his employees really well. He's very compassionate. But certainly a lot of successful entrepreneurs are not. And mm-hmm. they're without a doubt, this is true for my dad as well. Part of the reason he's able to have all that success was because he had my mom behind the scenes, managing his life and managing everything on the home front and taking on that huge task and raising kids. And, you know, and so I think like that so often sort of goes unacknowledged that that a Steve Jobs can't be a Steve Jobs without however many wives he ended up. I think just the way that like women are, as a woman, you know, the day that you become a mother, the ultimate judgment from society around you it will not matter what else you are good at. If you are perceived to be a bad mother, which for women, being a bad mother means being an imperfect mother, which is all of us. For men, even if you are a notably terrible father, such as Steve Jobs, who had one of his child children wrote a book about the fact that he basically abandoned her and let her grow up in poverty, or Elon Musk, who I'm pretty sure can't keep track of his children any longer. People don't really care that much. You don't hear that caveat when people talk about men's success. Yeah, he had a great company, but he's a pretty questionable human. His employees doesn't treat him well. He's been married six times. He has these kids that he doesn't seem close to. And with women, it's like the exact opposite, right? It's like, 
Well, I don't know. She missed her daughter's, you know, piano recital that one day. So do we care that she's a successful entrepreneur? I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's like just held to this completely different standard. How did you develop Sienna Markowitz, who is the New York Times reporter in this story and has a central character amongst of central presence amongst these characters. I want to say Taylor. Yeah, she, there's another person I follow on social media called Taylor Lauren, and their names are so similar. Anyway, she, a female reporter who's done a ton of stuff on tech, and it's not based on her, but I think Mm -hmm. she was a little bit the inspiration of Mm -hmm. her writing on tech and social media is so good and smart and fascinating. And I think she does a really good job of holding the powers that be to account in a way that is very daring. I mean, because if you are a woman in that space where it's so male-dominated, and if you look at things like Gamergate, and I mean, you just get the trolling, I can't even imagine. It must just be over the top. I don't think this should be our expectation for women. I don't think that we should just say, oh, well, if you're a woman and you talk, you're going to get harassed and get death threats and rape threats, and that's just what you should expect. Like, that's absolutely not okay. Not That should not be the standard, but I am always very impressed by female journalists that just persist in the face of that. And she is definitely one. So yeah, Sienna Markowitz was definitely, again, not like personally based on her, but that was sort of where I came up with with the idea. What does community mean to you? Oh boy, what a great question. It's really anywhere that you can find connection and support. And that's something that women are are so good at, right? Women are just so uniquely good at building community. Good at building communities online, good at building communities in real life. Uh, and certainly you cannot get through being a parent with a community. So I am the daughter of an immigrant. But it's very interesting to have one or both parents that are coming from a different culture because you do have sort of something to hold it up against. And I think UK parenting context is definitely not more community-oriented than mm. US parenting context. Certainly, if you're looking at someplace like Mexico where Sam's mom is, there is much more of a community. And there's a lot of immigrant families on my little cul-de-sac where I live in Edmonds. And they're, I sort of watch the way they are, where they have multi-generational households. And we are very isolated in the United States as moms. And obviously, there's many communities in the U.S. that are immigrant communities. And so that is different. But the sort of standard is, okay, you have kids, you take care of them, or you pay someone to take care of them. And those are your options. And I sort of look at how you know, other cultures do it where they either have, again, you know, multi-generational living is so much more common in most of the world than it is in the U.S., right? Asia, throughout South America, throughout Europe. So looking at how isolated we are, which is so hard as a parent and specifically as a mom and very specifically as a new mom, and the, the way that sort of community is so baked into the other culture's experience around new motherhood. And so I think that was something I thought a lot about. I was part of a PEPS group, which is this organization that just gets new moms together in a group that live sort of geographically close. And that was a huge support to me when I was, when I, when I had my first. And fortunately, I have a lot of family members around. So I did have, I do have a good support system, but I think that's very much not baked into the American experience of motherhood. And I think that's something that makes it so much harder. Community is crucial to everyone's well-being and it makes life impossible when you don't have it as a parent. And I think then also all of us going through COVID and being and physically separated from our communities made us realize like, oh, we are interdependent. You know, America is a culture that really values independence and sort of having, you know, sort of a lone wolf kind of thing. 
But that's essentially a lie. We all as human beings need to need to depend on other people. We need to have other people and we need to help other people. And it's like, we just, we really can't. That's not kumbaya. That's we can't survive without it. This may seem obvious, but where did the title come from? That title was actually picked out by my my fabulous editor, Lee Newman, who was who was with me at Zippy Books when when we acquired the book. And she picked that out as it was a phrase that Sam says in one of her classes. And she just said, that has to be the title. And it's so funny because with book titles, they go, at least in my experience, they go one of two ways. Either immediately there's a title and someone plucks it out or you have a million rounds of, of looking mm-hmm. for it. So we had, originally the book was called Strangers, which was okay. on like that's community thing. But I loved Women Are the Fiercest Creatures. I thought that's such a fun title. And, and it kind of says it all, right? It, was, it has kind of like a double entendre of like this bubble gum pink aspect to it of like you walking into the, the, yoga, the yoga studio. But also it's an affirmation and it, it's the community piece to it and how these women, you know, work together to find their voice. Yeah, I love that you picked up on that, actually, because I, I I feel the same way about it. I think initially when, when my editor suggested it, I was like, well, I love that line. And obviously, I feel that way. I was, But I worry that it's a little bit latent girl boss, you know, as we are all recovering from the hashtag girl boss era, right? This sort of this sort of mid-2000s, you know, girl power, girl, let's just put pink on it. And but it's not really, you know, it's not not really an evolution of anything. And we're all collectively kind of coming out of that era. And so I worried a little bit that it was, but I was like, no, it's both, right? And I think Sam kind of struggles with that, right? She kind of struggles with some of that, a little bit corporate capitalism, feminism versus her own really deep feelings. For me, that was a very profound experience. And I just thought, I've been an athlete all my life. I played tennis in college. This is the most physically astounding thing a body could possibly do. Even in my, you know, my soft, squishy postpartum getting back to the gym phase, I just walk around that weight room and I look at those gym bros and I think, you don't even know. Like, you don't even know what a body can do. Like, you have no idea. And like, however much weight you can lift. And I, you really have this moment, and this is going to sound like kind of woo-woo, but it's a real thing. For me, I had this moment of really feeling connected with all of womankind going back to the beginning. And I was like, this is a shared experience that even though cultural mores around childbirth, technology, medicine, this experience is mostly just the same throughout all of humanity. And you definitely, obviously, up until the very modern era, many, 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 many women die in childbirth. And still in this country, far too many women in childbirth, and particularly women of color. That is a very, I think, consider that a huge mark of shame on the, but like you, you feel that like you're going to the door of life and death when you're in labor. You're just like, I'm here. I know that throughout this process, at various points, the baby's life, my life could be imperiled. And I know at the end of this, a life is coming into the world. And it's so beautiful. And it's so awe-inspiring. And it was this like just moment of humanity where I'm like, oh, this is like the most powerful thing. And I kind of like, I can't now imagine being a man and not having this even a potential part of my experience because... There's just something so powerful about that. And I don't mean like Spice Girls girl power. I mean like real fearsome animal power to that 
you know, and some huge percentage of women will be a mother at some point in their life. So you just think, oh, so like your most ordinary woman in the world can do this. And like the strongest man in the world could not do this. When you are pregnant and when you are a new mom, people talk to you like a child. And it's so bizarre because you just think, I have just done the single most grown-up thing I have ever done in my life. I just brought a whole new person here that I am completely responsible for. Why are you talking to me like I am five? You know? And like you do feel vulnerable. You do feel this weird like adolescence because of the hormones, but it's like people talk down to moms and it's so preposterous. And there's a whole culture of, oh, moms, like they're dorky and like whatever. That's fine. If my children want to find me dorky as a mom, that's their inherited right. But other people sort of talking down to moms, I'm just like, are you kidding? Like this is the hardest, biggest, like who is more important to people than their mom? Talking about people when they're able to, and they make the choice to give birth, you've done something that's so profound, but there are people who still find a way, as you said, to talk to you like you need to be read instructions. And you've made a decision to bring life, put some respect on my name, put some respect on my body, put some respect One, on my child, put some 100%. respect on my choices. 100%. And, and I've thought about it. I want to say, too, to, like, show me a braver person than a trans man who carries a pregnancy and gives birth. That's just something that's been on my heart a little bit, because I remember the first time I sort of heard that people are making that switch to, like, pregnant people. And I sort of was like, oh, that sounds strange every time. But then I thought, yeah, they're part of this community, too, for sure. And they're taking such additional risks to do it. So I just I want to send, like, a lot of love to to our the to the trans and gender non-conforming folks that are part of the pregnancy and childbirth community. Yes. That's like a brave and beautiful thing, you know? Exactly. So my last question for you is what bookstore would you like our readers to buy women are the fiercest creatures? For me, any indie bookstore is great. So if you have an indie bookstore that you love, by all means, in your own community, that's great. But so many boxes. So if you're buying from bookshop.org, and also if you can buy from BIPOC-owned stores, that's great too. Bookshop.org has a great list of them, but place like Mahogany Books or Loyalty Books or what's the one in Chicago? Semicolon. Yeah, Semicolon, also a fantastic bookstore. Andrea Dunlop, thank you for joining us to talk about Women Are the Fiercest Creatures. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for reading the book. Nail Partners, Inc. is a Black-owned commercial real estate, urban planning, and community engagement firm based in St. Paul, Minnesota. We believe in developing generative results in the community while addressing the pressing challenges facing urban-built environments. Our work and belief system is rooted in applied empathy and putting people first. Our approach delivers thoughtful, human-centered solutions for clients and cultivates sustainable relationships. We make a conscious effort to hire local residents as community liaisons, staff, and consultants to support engagement in local communities. We hire local talent as interns and have developed an artist-in-residence program in order to build up young and upcoming professionals within our community. We are currently hiring for our summer intern program. 
we provide real estate development and business technical assistance to small business owners, entrepreneurs, and companies that share our values. So if you're a business owner looking to do things the right way the first time, it's time to do things the NAO way. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature.